Wow, that was a very powerful and dare I say needed conversation with Naza Kwaja. Naza is the outreach specialist for early autism services, an ABA company serving 13 regions in the United States, as well as Australia and India. But Naza wasn't on today's podcast representing her company. Today, it was Naza and myself having a conversation about the cultural insensitivities that many immigrants and immigrant families are experiencing and the barriers to care that are out there. We don't solve the problem, unfortunately, but I want you to know that if you are a family and you're a minority or you feel that the world just happens to be stacked against you and and nothing seems to be going right or you just don't know where to go for resources, we're here for you. You know, I learned something when I was talking to Naza about interpretation services that Medicaid offers free interpretation services for families. They'll pay for it. Medicaid will pay for it. We want providers to think about how can they present to families in a method in a, in a method that the families will understand. You know, bedside manner is important. Cultures are different. Don't take it for granted that that a family is going to ask questions if they have questions. You know, many of these cultures are are taught not to question authority, not like the U.S. does. So what I want you to take away from this podcast is what can you do? How can you help your friend, your neighbor, maybe maybe a, a fellow student for your child in your child's school? How can you help them? access some of the services that maybe you've already accessed or help them understand that it's okay if they don't agree with a doctor or help them by advocating for them. Just try to do something for one person, you know, and and, and pay it forward. Thank you for joining me. My name is Eric Jorgensen. I am the host of the ABC's Disability Planning Podcast. I'm also the founder of Special Needs Navigator. I started Special Needs Navigator to help families, individuals, and professionals navigate the maze of benefits, resources, and services. And this podcast is meant to help you, the listener, learn more about these benefits, resources, and services, and maybe introduce you to those that you haven't heard of. Every week, I have a different guest on. I don't focus on any given special, any given diagnosis. I really want to cover the the gamut. And I want to make sure I'm going as national as possible. Let's tune in into the conversation with Naza Kwaja and myself, and I welcome any feedback. Hey, Naza, thank you for joining me today on the ABCs of Disability Planning podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. We talked about the topic we wanted to discuss and, and go into was the cultural sensitivities of therapists and how families can advocate for themselves. But before I do, I want to say I found out you've been holding out on me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what so, have you found out? Oh, no, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Well, I didn't know you're an author. I didn't know you had wrote a book, The Other Side of Life. Yes, yes. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. I spent some time in Pakistan, my first marriage. My ex-husband is from Pakistan. And living out there, even though I am, you know, Pakistani and from that 
I, I couldn't, I couldn't connect and I couldn't relate to, to the things that were happening there or the people or some of the atrocious truths about, you know, just the way, the, the way that things go on there. And the, and so anyway, those experiences kind of stayed with me in my head and were just haunting me and I needed to get it out onto paper so that I could share with the world and also bring some peace to my mind about my, my entire experience living on. Not all bad, of course, but. but I, I think it's a good segue, though, and it's a good introduction because we do have a lot of immigrants to this country. And as a native, well, let me rephrase because I'm not a Native American, as a person born in the U.S., um, you know, like we were talking ahead of time, I think I'm unfortunate, more fortunate than most because I believe I've seen, I've been to 15 or 16 countries and I've had the opportunity to see, at least in some small measure, the other cultures. But I don't think many of the people in the U.S. have been outside their own zip code, much less the state or country. And, and, and that's why I think that, that your story, the three years you spent in Pakistan, the, according to the video that I, I watched you, the interview you did with Mala, where you were talking about this one, you were sharing an experience where you were standing outside of a car and the individuals were looking at you and you, you, you were told to go in the car and you said no uncertain terms. Why should I? I'm paraphrasing the interview, sure. of course, but mm-hmm. you know, as, an, as an American, it's, it's hard to believe that that would even fly. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you think about some immigrants who have come here, maybe they're single parents now, and they have a therapist or a doctor or another professional who's even giving them the slightest bit of pushback, how easy it would be to fall into old roles, right? And it, it happens. It happens time and time again, where parents or families, uh, you know, who do not speak the language, don't understand the culture, receive something that is, is sounds like an order. You know, I, I want to go as far as to say it sounds like an order, and then they're they're not wanting to question or not. They don't have the courage, maybe even I want to go as far to say they don't have the courage to just stand up for themselves in in a situation, especially speaking to someone in in an authority position, an authoritative position like a doctor or a therapist. So what could they do? I mean, how do you get around that? I mean, this is years of culture, perhaps family upbringing. How How would you even begin to get around that? I think there's, you know, there's obviously there's work that the individual has to do, right? They have to be able to advocate for themselves. But on the opposite, you know, on the on the other end, I think people in those authoritative positions should be more just sensitive to the fact that, or, or just have enough knowledge to know that if I use this tone of voice, the person I'm speaking to is going to fold. And not using that to their advantage when speaking to people, you know, from different countries with language barriers and cultural barriers. I also think, you know, it's not just that person in the authoritative position. Um, I think the institution or the company, the organization, the team, the entire, you know, they, they should be receiving more training on just how to speak to individuals uh, what are the cues? What goes? What doesn't go? What what causes discomfort? What makes people uncomfortable from, let's say, someone from you know an Islamic background versus someone from the the, the Latin American community? Or so just knowing, you know, just more training, I, I think, would be extremely helpful. 
especially when you're dealing with people and, and we live in a, you know, global world, I mean, there's, and uh, I think just more and more needs to be invested in, in, in training such as those. I, I would agree with that. I'm guilty of not being, I mean, I joke about it sometimes that I'm not squishy, but there, you know, I'm very conscious of the fact that I, I'm hard of hearing. I wear hearing aids. So I talk loud. I'm also tall and, and I'm a big guy. I'm six foot, 205 pounds. I mean, I'm, I'm a big dude, right? So I'm a loud, big white dude, which, you know, it, it, it comes with some baggage. I mean, I don't mean to be, but, you know, it goes back to what you're saying, how you need to be conscious how this may be perceived. The Navy taught me to take control of a room and take control of a situation if nobody else does. What I translated that into as a civilian was if nobody's speaking, it means I need to. Okay. <laughs> and that's not always right, right? I mean, there's, there's a, I've, I've since learned, I mean, on submarines, everybody's, you know, we were talking, joking a little bit before about how we're, you're from Chicago, I'm from New England, we always go 100 miles an hour. Submarines, it's very similar. It's go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard. It's been very hard for me to adapt to more of a, some people like to think before they speak. Right. And, (laughs) and it's, it's, I think when you get into the medical field, there's probably something similar, depending on what, what specialty you are, especially surgeons or something like that. They're going to, so, I mean, all of that to say, I agree, there needs to be some kind of training. I don't even know where to start though, Naza, because it's it's so endemic. It's it's like, we're Americans. So everybody has to bend to our will. Like, I mean, I'm so tired of seeing, oh, you need to learn English. Well, yes. (laughs) You should be able to speak the, the language of, of the country that you're living in. But you know what? When I visited France, I visited Spain, visited Italy, I couldn't speak there. I mean, France, I could read the, the menu and I could say bonjour, and, but it was brutal. And they were <laughs> gracious enough to, to, to welcome me to their country. What's wrong with us? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, providing more interpretation services, hiring a service that does that. I know we're looking into that with our company with early autism services and tapping into, I know like Medicaid also provides those interpretation services for free for families. And so I would direct families. I I used to do, you know, work as intake for the company and just, just providing families with that type of, and I can speak a little bit of Spanish. I took Spanish in high school and that was helpful because there's the Arabic side, there's, you know, I can speak Urdu and Punjabi to help with those families. And then I can speak Spanish a little bit enough to hold a conversation and just directing families to the resources that they have available to them. But what's even more frightening is the fact that they don't even know that these resources are available to them. So my question is, you know, how do we present to them in a form, in the language, in the method that they can understand, and just for them to know that they have access to these resources completely free, you know, many times just covered by the state. And I I don't know, is is that is that information provided to them at the at their doctor's offices, at the Medicaid offices? And the other thing, Eric, which is frustrating is that after, you know, (laughs) the therapist and the doctors, unfortunately, had a year or a little bit longer where they didn't have to, to kind of worry about bedside manner. You know, everything <laughs> was on Zoom, just the telehealth services. You know, we switched to a, to a telehealth services model initially, right, as, as uh, the pandemic hit. And so that, that, 
you you can kind of see, you know, before I'm just going to make it personal. My, when my mom is admitted to the hospital, I'm usually there. I'm advocating for her. I'm speaking for her, asking for information that they are unwilling to give to someone who doesn't necessarily speak English in the way that they do. And, and I'm able to do that. I'm able to ask the nurses questions and interrogate the doctor to, you know, as much as I would like to. And, and I get answers. And when she was admitted, you know, during the pandemic, it was very frightening because when I'm trying to speak to, when I'm trying to get in contact with the doctor, they're not available for, for me to speak to them on the phone, which I, you know, they want, they wanted me to speak to the nurses instead. And I just didn't feel comfortable with that situation. Obviously, you know, I'm, I just, I don't, I don't know how to, how to, how to talk about it without getting extremely upset. That's my mom, you know, that's, that's my mom and she can't understand medical terminology. I can't either, but at least if you tell me, I can kind of, you know, consult with Google or whomever else I would like to consult with, you know, an expert and it's, it's scary. And so I think, I think the pandemic didn't help because it took that pressure off of these, you know, individuals, not all of course, but of having to, 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 to think or be more conscientious of, of the, the client or the patient. I think when you're talking about that, I'm thinking back to when my wife was in the ICU and how I was advocating on her behalf and and then flipped the script when I got my cancer diagnosis and how helpless, I, helpless isn't the right word, but how when you're at, when, when I'm advocating for somebody else, it's like I, 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 the world's my oyster. I can just run with it. But when I'm facing my mortality because I have this, you know, this diagnosis, it scared the crap out of me. You know, it was... The VA literally told me, we're not sure we can treat you in time. You need to find a different doctor, meaning oh I could die before I get treated. Mm. And it was, you know, it's hard in the best of circumstances. Again, I'm a cis white male, you know, and I felt powerless. So you take that from somebody from another country, doesn't speak the language well, until you told me. And I'm, I'm a big researcher, but until you told me, I didn't know Medicaid offered free translation services. And I spend two to three hours a day, literally on a day on the computer researching. And I didn't know that mm-hmm. with all of my resources. Okay. So it's, it's almost, it's like the deck is so stacked against these families because yeah. when they have a child who gets a diagnosis that they may not understand because it's not talked about in their cultures like right. autism. And then that child has an additional layer of complexity because the child's non-speaking. And then they don't have any family here and they speak broken English at best. You know, not because they're not trying, but English is not an easy language to learn. It's not. So I don't know, Naza, where to go to, to get this information out because I would bet a lot of providers don't know that translation services exist. I wonder if it's creating a better relationship with the case managers. Okay. I know that is something that we've been trying to do. And, and many, in some counties, we are very successful. I almost want to say it's either like a hundred percent success rate or almost a 0% success rate. I don't know if it's just the way that the system has been set up and the case managers and how I understand uh, HIPAA, of course, and respect that model, but I, I, I don't know what it is. And I, and, you know, we're, we're trying to do more work, my colleague and I, on building these relationships with insurance companies, uh, representatives, case managers, 
the Medicaid system, we're trying our best. It's very hard to speak to anyone with authority or just decision, you know, have just the different program managers or, you know, administration. I don't know who to even call, right? When I'm trying, I don't even know who I'm trying to contact. And then you ask them and they're like, well, we don't, you know, uh, anyway, it's it's been it's been very difficult trying to, but I, I do believe maybe providers and the insurance or the case managers with the Medicaid building that relationship and advocating for the client and keeping that as the focus of the relationship could could help. Um, and like I said, in some counties we've been extremely successful, and you can just see the difference that it makes in the family's lives. They're able to get the services they need, you know, not having to wait too long. They know what to expect from us, which I think is amazing, Eric. I know it sounds like, oh yeah, you're an ABA company. They're gonna families do not know what questions they can ask what they can request from, from their providers. They don't know that they have a say in the program in the, in the ABA. Of course, the, you know, after the, after the consultation, the BCBA puts together the behavior plan, but we involve the families and we encourage families to, to join the team meetings and speak to us, tell us what's been going on when we're not there you know, so that we can better, you know, just manage and change things around. And, and families didn't, you know, some families, some families don't know that they have, they can do that. And you, and you ask them, you know, well, tell us, like, tell us what's been going on and how, and what are the challenges and what are the accomplishments? What can we sell? You know, what can we celebrate? But you see that the families that we are in close contact with case managers, the families that have the case managers and we're in contact with them, they are way more comfortable expressing whatever, what, what they're okay with and also what they're not okay with. And I think that's great. I think it's, I think it's, I think it shows that there's trust, you know, in that relationship that we have with the families, which is very important. We're in their homes, working with their children, you know, their most sacred, or I'm, you know, just, just, I'm a parent myself. And so I can, you know, I've had therapists work with my son. Um, He had a, he was born premature and he had delays. So he needed the speech therapy, the occupational therapy, the physical therapy, he needed, he needed those things. And it's just a very uh, vulnerable situation. It can be, you know, with the therapist in the home telling you what's not okay with your child. And you want to blame yourself as a parent, you know, what did I do wrong? What am I not doing? Right. And I just appreciated uh, every time I had a therapist in the home that was just willing to talk to me, like I'm an individual, you know, not just you know what I mean? Just spending that extra minute or two, just, Hey, how's it, how's your day? How, how's it going? You know, what are, what are some things that you, and it was just, it just felt so nice, Eric. I was able to not feel like I needed to, I don't know what, what it is like validate my motherhood <laughs> to these individuals, you know? And I, and I felt like that I could trust them with their advice and trust them with the things that they said they you know just hey I, maybe this is you know this is not working and it was always those ther- therapists that were willing to just understand my dynamic with my child too and so this is why you know we're having this conversation right just maybe spending that extra or have having a questionnaire. I mean, we do, we have this for preschool and first day of school, right? The teacher sends us 
that worksheet, which I love that asks, you know, what, what, what works for your child? What doesn't work for your child? Tell me a little bit about, you know, how about something like that for families, right? Like what's important to you as, a, as a, you know, what's important to you and your family? What are, what are some things and that we need to know, you know, to, how can we be more sensitive to your culture and your needs? Not from a clinical standpoint, but more of a human being. Yes. And it's, it's so awesome that you say this. I mean, you, because, and you don't know this because the podcast hasn't been released yet, but I did an interview with, with Danielle Williams, the founder of Stigma Consulting out in New York. And she, she has, she's the mom of two child, two children on the spectrum, two sons. And she talks about every year she gives the school a one pager. This is my child. Wow. And it's, it's so cool that you said that and here she is doing that, but she's one mom, right? And she did it on her own. She's trying to teach other parents to do this, but we go back to culturally, if you're not used to, you know, as Americans, I feel like we, we have this sense of entitlement sometimes Yes. where, (laughs) and again, I'm saying this as a cis white guy, right? I mean, I've been to a lot of other countries and I just know what I see. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that from a lot of immigrant families, first, second generations. I don't want to say they're fearful because I, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but I don't think they're, I, I think many of the, many times they're probably uncomfortable with where those lines are. They just don't know. So it's easy for me to say, hey, just give the teacher, you know, a, a, a one page talking about your child. But when I take a step back and I think about how many boundaries that could be crossing for somebody like first you know first how do they feel about writing out their child i mean mm-hmm. to your point about the shame you oh, know yeah. we're always taught to say here's what's going on with my kid we're not taught to i mean it's like can we take a step back a moment and remember our child has a name my son's name is william william is not his diagnosis right mm-hmm. yeah. william is a, is a guy who loves cars sports cars mm-hmm. and you know, wants me to move to Florida and get out of his house. And I mean, that's who William is, right? I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So that whole rant was, was to get to families that are listening. If you are an an American and you're born and bred in the U S and you feel that you're a pretty strong personality, or maybe you've been told you're a little too much, take somebody under your wing, right? I mean, you know, be be there for them and help them and, and not in a judgy kind of way. No. And I love that. I received, I remember on intake, I received a call from someone who did exactly that. She said, my neighbor has a child. She doesn't speak English. There are services out there. We need your help. And I'm trying to help her. And it, it like, I'm still getting goosebumps because receiving that phone call, Eric was just felt, you know, just, I can see, you know, you have a, passion for these things. I have a passion for these things. And I was so willing to, you know, spend an extra 20 minutes on the phone that day and just breaking it down and providing the steps. And I I love that you're making this, you know, just, just this call out my mom, you know, fortunately one of my dad's friends was married to a black woman and my auntie Gloria, and I love her to death, may she rest in peace. She, she showed my mom, you know, she took the bus with six kids, you know, the CTA, Chicago public transport system, God bless them, I guess. But she, you know, we got on the bus, she took my mom to down to the office. And it was 
my aunt, four feet tall, four feet, maybe eight, this, this, this tiny black woman with this fierce personality, like shaking her finger at the lady at the Medicaid office. Like she needs help. You need to help her, you know? And that's what helped us, you know, growing up, like receiving the aid that we needed. And, you know, just that's all it took was just that one time, you know, showing her, showing my mom where to go, how to get there, what to do and what to ask for, you know? Like I'm trying to make sure people know what to ask for. That's the whole point of especially to navigators. Here's the information you need to know because you don't know what you didn't know. You, You don't know what you don't know. And that's why my podcast, my YouTube videos, you know, all of this is, is really meant to educate people and give them the tools to at least level the playing field. I can't guarantee you're going to get the services that, that you may or may not be qualified for, but at least know to ask. You know, my other call to action would be for, and I don't know that any of them would be listening, but if you work for a social services, you know, for the state, because I feel like private providers typically have a little bit more bedside manner because... They need customers. They need clients. (laughs) The state is, and I'm not, I always want to be careful because I know not everybody is this way. And I I can only imagine how intense it must be when you're, you're never on receiving end of happy people, right? When people are coming to your office, usually because they're in a jam. So that's got to get to be very overwhelming very quickly. But if you could just for a moment, take a step back out of your shoes and try to imagine what it's like with this woman who might have three or four kids in tow, you know, looking for that social security check and not understanding why it didn't come this month. They don't know what ISM is. You know, they just know their check isn't the same size this month. Or, you know, hey, you know, I didn't know I was supposed to file for income or whatever with, with your SNAP or, or whatever, whatever other service you're applying for have some grace for them right i mean there has to be something else though either like a liaison or and i do want to say and i hope some you know social services are you know i hope they are listening because if you don't have a heart for this work then i honestly do not think you should be doing this work it's it's very uh, it's very sad to see the bullying that takes place and the interrogation that takes place. That's not, I know there, you know, you have to ask certain questions. You need to get the information, but Eric, sometimes they go way too far in what, you know, in the interrogation process or whatever it is. And I've seen it firsthand. I've had someone ask my mom why she receives help from her children. If we help with some bills or something, that's, that's, I don't, think that's any of her business it was just the her tone of voice when she was you know I, I don't know and then she you know it was just <laughs> I don't even want to get into it because it was, you know I had to call her out on that and I had to tell her that was none of her business because it really wasn't it really wasn't her business the gifts that my mom receives from her children and she had no right to ask that question and, and no right to ask for my mom to be able to, I don't know. I don't know what she was trying to do with that, but it, it was just not right. And so, and that's, just, and that's me, my mom telling me, me being able to, you know, as someone who can speak English and speak the language, being able to find out who that person is, call her, get in contact, you know, and, and then I wasn't even there. And so can you imagine the countless situ- situation, like the countless times this happens in these situations where families are being bullied and interrogated and, and it's just not right. And who, and who, 
they don't even, they don't even know. It's just, it's just not right. So honestly, if you don't have a heart for this work, you shouldn't do it because um, it's not fair. It's not fair that families who are completely helpless sometimes in, in situations and, and are in need of the assistance are unable to, are just being pushed into all these different corners to, to, to try to get them, you know, for them to try to get any type of, any type of assistance. Uh, that's just my opinion. I don't represent, you know, that's not my company's opinion. I just want to clarify. That's me, Naza Kawaja, just expressing my opinion on this. And we need to be able to, you know, I. that's another thing that really chaps me is this whole, I'm afraid to speak up because I don't want to get canceled. This is how crap just gets worse. Yes. Right? I mean. Yeah. But they're made to feel that way, Eric. Oh, I believe you. I, I do. I mean, I've had clients who don't want to go back. Yeah. I mean, they don't want to go back because it just, you know, it's not cool. I mean, it's a social safety net. Who are you to judge? Right. By, I mean, you could be there. You're, yeah. you are one car accident away from needing yeah. that same social safety net. Yes. yes. And this idea that everybody that comes from overseas is here to just freaking take advantage of the system or play the system is a crock and it needs to stop. It's horrible. It's horrible hearing the conversations that take place in public settings. Even I was buying a dining table and one of the, you know, the furniture at the furniture store, one of the salespeople is just talking to someone there buying furniture about the refugee situation. And I had to write to management because that conversation was completely inappropriate, uh, very insensitive to the different cultures in that store shopping around, you know, and, and, and the fact that the sale, you know, the fact that the salesperson was not conscientious of that fact that you have different people from different cultures from all over the world in your store. And you're having this very loud conversation, very derogatory conversation. Anyway, it's there it, it, there needs to be yeah you're absolutely right there needs to be a, a stop um, yeah i feel like the the vocal minority that's out there right now is very anti-immigrants i think the anti i mean it used to be very anti-muslim i don't know how i don't know if that's as bad as it used to be but it's definitely anti anybody who doesn't speak english fluently it feels like and it's it's not fair i mean and not I don't like using the word fair because fair isn't always equitable and it's not equitable. It, you know, it's, there's no reason to begrudge somebody the services they qualify for. You know, none of us asked for the stuff that, well, I have to be careful here because I I don't want to be a liar. I do feel that sometimes you put yourself in a situation and you have to pay the piper because you did what you did. Sure. But in circumstances like we're talking about right now with diagnosis and, you know, somebody born with something and just trying to get by, you know, how do you expect so many circumstances to get better if we don't give them the opportunity by giving them a hand up? No, that's completely true. I think organizations, providers need to do more. As someone on outreach for, for our company, I know one of my focuses was WIC offices, just women, infants, and children reaching out to them, telling them we have these services. These are the languages we currently have available. What are the languages in need? And we're, we would try to accommodate or 
you know, tap into the interpretation services that we have. And I can honestly tell you, Eric, that no, for across the regions that I have, I have six, about six regions, just for our, our listeners, we are in 13 different regions across the United States. And so you're also I in know, different countries too, right? You're in yes, India, we're in India and, in- and Australia. Correct. Yeah, that's, that's very exciting how we've branched out internationally. But with the six branches that I have in the United States, I've contacted the WIC offices in all of those regions. I'm not in each county yet. I'm still working on that. But I can tell you, I am the first ABA provider that has reached out to any of those offices. And I've, you know, our our therapists, our wonderful therapists are willing to volunteer their time, set up a table, informational booth, what have you, for parents who have questions about specific behaviors, whether or not they have a diagnosis, whether or not they're seeing someone, you know, or or currently receiving services. uh, We are just wanting to make ourselves available in that way. It's just, again, it goes along with the conversations we have, like, how do we provide information to these families who need help. And that was just something that I thought of and started, you know, I, I'm, I started it. I'm still working on different ways we can tap into some of the offices that are still closed because of the pandemic. And they're, they're only providing services or help for families over the phone. Most of these families don't know what Zoom is, you know, so you can't even try to help families in in that way but why not why not have an intro to zoom session for these families why not have computers set up for them to be able to come in to use appointment based or you know you know keeping it controlled of course and in and and keeping it you know not breaking it but we just have to think outside the box Eric and we just have to do the work like it takes effort yes it does it wasn't easy trying to get this information on the WIC offices trying to reach the program directors it's not easy. I can make a quick call to a doctor's office and it'll be, and that'll be, I'll be done right for the day. Like, Oh, I've reached a couple, you know, like I, I spoke to a couple, but it's not the point, you, you know, it, if you're wanting, you just, it's okay to have to do that extra work to try and help to change a system that is not designed for these immigrant families. Well, and many hands make light work, right? So you know, you're an ABA provider, but let's say schools did some similar outreach, right? Because the school IEP team is probably having similar conversations or the pediatrician, their office does similar outreach, right? You know, and, 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 right. There's all these different places. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if it's just your organization doing it, and I say this, and when I say your, I mean, any of the listeners out there Mm -hmm. who say, well, I'm the only one in the state of Montana doing this and Mm Montana is huge. You just don't understand how hard it is. Sure. Then enlist the people that should be helping you. You know, you, you knock on a hundred doors, maybe only two answer, but that's two more than you had when you started. Right. And then there's things, you know, to your point about thinking outside the box. Okay. Maybe your state doesn't offer the translation services, or it's too hard to get set up. Do you have a phone? Can you do Google Translate? I mean, I did that the other day at the mall. Somebody handed me a Google Translate because he was looking for something. He spoke into the phone, turned around, gave it to me. I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) But it worked. I mean. Yeah. Yes. You know, and Mm -hmm. computers aren't that expensive anymore. You can go out and get used Chromebooks. And a Chromebook doesn't have anything else on it. You just set it up and it accesses the internet. Yeah. So yes. I'm saying all this to, to because I, I, can, I can almost hear the arguments of 
but it's going to be too expensive, but it's going to be too hard <laughs> or, but I already have too many things to do. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I feel like if you, if, if everybody would just take on one thing to make something easier for somebody else, well, the cascading effect that would have, you know, I, I think it could be a game changer. Wow. All right, listeners. That's that's the homework assignment for for this is 2022 goals, right? Hashtag New Year goals. But uh, I love it, Eric. I love it. Yeah, I, I get fired up on this. And, you know, I rightly so. <laughs> well, I appreciate you letting me rant. You know, I mean, this isn't meant to be this podcast wasn't started to be Eric's rants. <laughs> I didn't hear any ranting at all. I think this topic in particular, um, you cannot talk about it without uh, getting heated up about, you know, just, just seeing what this, just, just like you said, when a system is lacking that equity, it's, it, it just feels, it leaves, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth and it's unacceptable. I think in this day and age with the technology that we have and the money that we spend here and there and everywhere else, it's unacceptable. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy we're having this conversation and I hope that um, our, some of our listeners and myself included will take upon this homework assignment and start and start changing, start changing the way things work one person at a time, one, one family at a time. Thank you. I, I, I agree, Naza. And how can, how can the listeners find you? I'm going to put a link to your book in the, in the show oh, notes. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. <laughs> I do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. The listeners can visit our website, www.earlyautismservices.com. They may email me directly. We have an info email, info at earlyautismservices.com. And, and you're starting a podcast, right? Yes, we are. Life at ease. <laughs> Please uh, add us to your Google, Apple, Spotify podcast uh, lists. And uh, we will be having Eric on with us very soon. Thank you so much, Eric. So it's such a pleasure speaking with you, talking to you, exchanging ideas, expressing and ranting, of course, very much appreciate uh, what you do for families. This is something that takes a lot of work. It's not easy. Like we talked about, this work is not easy. And we also talked about how Eric, and I'm sure the listeners will agree, you have a ginormous, very friendly brain. And I wish, you know, we, we all had that. And it's such a pleasure to, to know you, to speak with you. And to know that you do this work for, for your families. I appreciate it. Wow. Thank you, Naza. I, I, I want the listeners to come away from this episode knowing that if, they're, if, if any of this resonated with them, they're heard and they're seen. Yes. And I think that's a good place to end it. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the conversation that I had with Naza Kwaja. I hope you took away something meaningful and helpful. I will be including links to the novel that she wrote, The Other Side of Life. I will also be including links to the Early Autism Services website. Again, Naza was not here representing the company. She is the outreach specialist for Early Autism Services, and I will have her back to talk about what they do. But today was really meant to have a conversation of what it's like to to have a different culture. She spent three years in Pakistan. 
she, you know, her mom is originally from Pakistan. So she's, she's a first generation American, Naza is. And I just really wanted to have that conversation with somebody who sees things from a different perspective than I do. I've been living in the U.S. my whole life. I've, as I mentioned during the podcast, I'm a cis white male. I haven't really had too much trouble anywhere, really. And I, but I, I know it affects the communities that are served and I want those communities to know that they are heard. So thank you for joining me. Please hit like, subscribe, and leave any comments you want in the comment box. And tune in next time.